Hello, you're listening to the Sound On Say Game of Thrones podcast. This week we talk about Season 3, Episode 3, Walk of Punishment. Welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor for Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by Ricky D, our general editor. General editor. Hey, Kate. And this week, joining us, Michael Waldman, who was, of course, the co-host with me last year. Uh, Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. So, uh, as we always preface the beginning of these th- these podcasts, I have read the books. Ricky, you have not? No. And we should also just mention that the podcast is really directed more to those people who haven't read the books. Well, I it's directed towards me, too. <laughs> and me. No, I mean, <laughs> two-thirds of the hosting team have read the books tonight. Yeah, I mean, I I would enjoy listening to a podcast like this. So, I, I mean, we're going to kind of suss some stuff out and work through things. And, and I'm, I'm sure, Ricky, you may have some questions that um, that Mike and I might be more familiar with. But I still think, you know, so if, if basically if you ex- you're expecting a, a really intense conversation where we get into the the – nitty gritty and it's assumed that everybody's names we all know everybody's names and all their connections that's not this podcast but uh we do i do want to mention before we get into it really quickly we got uh another review on itunes and thank you very much because of course this this feed has our game of thrones podcast it also ricky has your base motel podcast and earlier this year it had our walking dead podcast but we got another uh review on itunes and uh from a specifically a base motel podcast fan but i wanted to say thank you very much and if you are listening and you like what we're doing feel free to go over to itunes and give us a review so getting into this episode, uh, last week you you were a bigger fan of the episode, Ricky, than I was because I felt like I was just kind of waiting. And this week, some of it starts to kick in. I'm, I really like this episode. I have a feeling, Ricky, I'm hoping you did too. Lots of dragons and wargs and good stuff like that. But Mike, let's start with you. What did you think of Walk of Punishment? Um, I liked it a lot. It was a really fun episode in general. I've uh, Anybody that listened to the podcast last year may remember that I'd become sort of disenchanted with the show towards the end of the season. But uh, this season in general, in this episode, I think in particular, I've really um, it has it, it feels like it's getting back to the kind of pacing and um, and maturity and acting that I really enjoyed from the first season. And that um, for me was a little bit more uneven last season. Okay, and uh, uh, Ricky, what did you think? Yeah, I think it's the best episode so far of season three. Uh, the first two episodes was a lot of walking, a lot of talking, which I appreciated. I like, I like the character upkeep, especially from someone that hasn't read the book. This episode, I don't know, it, there was a bit of action, not much, but a lot of horror, a lot of attempted rape. It was kind of hard to watch at, at, at some, I mean, especially the Brienne and the Jamie scenes, like it was tough to watch, if you, especially if you really like those two characters, especially Brienne. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what I really liked about this episode is to me, it was the storytelling was done more so in the visuals as opposed to dialogue. And I think the dialogue is fantastic in the series, as I said, in the, the past two episodes. 
but I I tend to like uh, a movie or a TV show better when the director tells the story more so visually. And I think that's what we got here with this episode. So I think it's an extremely well executed episode, very nicely done, focuses on many characters, maybe too many characters. I do have one major complaint, which I'll get out of the way right now. There are so many characters in this show, right? And especially for people that haven't read the book, it's a lot to keep up with, okay? And so each episode is roughly, what, 55 minutes long, I believe, if mm -hmm. not 60, because there's no commercial breaks. So why exactly did we need the scene with Pod and the three prostitutes? Like, granted, it was well executed. It was funny. It reminded me of some kind of, like, Cirque du Soleil or old school Hollywood musical number. Yeah, it was well directed, well executed. But what is up with HBO or, or Game of Thrones needing to put women naked in their show in every single episode for no reason when we can be taking that five or 10 minutes of screen time and awarding it to characters that we actually care about and know like Jamie or Brienne or Marjorie who did not appear in this episode. So that's my biggest beef with the episode. Apart from that, I don't know, I thought it was great. I think that's a valid point, but I also think it's important in a show like Game of Thrones that can be so dire and dreary and um, mm -hmm. and depressing and is only going to get more so as we continue. Uh, I, I, I would I would assume. It, it, I do think it's important to take a moment every now and again to have some comedy, and I think they wanted to show Tyrion, you know, outside of his normal role of of. Uh, overlooked son or schemer uh and, and they wanted to show you know another side to that character so that's that's why i'm guessing they put it in there plus just the i don't know that it, the comedy quite landed as well as it it maybe should have in that last moment but i i just love that we're gonna need details you need to tell us that because the 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 show is so schemes within schemes within schemes that as i'm watching the, the their astonishment my assumption is of course no, no no somebody's trying to you know mess with them and i i didn't get the level of no the whores just really like pod <laughs> that i think i was supposed to in, in that moment and so it didn't maybe land as well and maybe that would have helped but um i don't know as as someone who's been watching a lot of spartacus recently this just was completely tame to me so it didn't feel over the top, but I don't know, Mike, what did you think? Um, I'd have to agree with Kate here. I think, uh, I, I see where you're going, Rick, and I understand there is so much to deal with that, you know, distracting seems, seem maybe a little bit wasted because time is so limited, but I, I have to agree. I think that the show is, you know, and, and some of, some of the best things about the show are how intricate and, but at times it can feel a little laborious and, you know, you're constantly covering ground. And so I think the odd little distraction for scenes like this were fun. But I also agree that right at the end you were like, is this like a buddy comedy moment? Really? Like somebody must be scheming to scheme somebody here. And like somebody put like a, a some sort of like medieval listening device on pod and they're like getting this conversation. So I think it wasn't until the scene was over until I was like, oh, that was just a cute scene. Well, but but that, that's what I found confusing or what actually that's what I didn't like about the whole scene. It's confusing to the tone of the show because the show doesn't have moments like that. But I think maybe this is an indicator that they're going to try a couple more. Although, like Kate said, that's the other thing. Moments for levity are getting few and far between. Like shit is about to get awful. And 
like indefinitely awful. So well, but but the thing is, it's like I don't know if Pod is going to become a major character in the future of the series. Although I don't think he will. He turns right. into a dragon. Well, that would be awesome. <laughs> but the thing, like you know, despite the fact, again, it was well executed, and I did laugh, and I did enjoy the scene. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the scene. I'm just saying I don't think it was needed. It it does have witty dialogue, and it's funny. Uh, but I mean, you could have seriously have taken that ten minutes and awarded to another character. And I mean, for example, the simple dragging of a chair speaks volumes. And earlier on in the episode, when we had that scene with the chair dragging, like that showed that the the the, the creators and the writers of the series did not need to rely on sex position, nudity, like sex, whatever. You know, they can still lighten up the mood, throw in some comedy. So I don't know. It just didn't work for me at all. And I think it didn't work because of the payoff. Uh, the payoff just was really, I don't know. It was just like he walks into the room, he he, he hands him back his money, and then they kind of like sit down and start bonding, like male bonding. Like I just did not work for me, guys. Sorry. No, that's fine. And uh, like I said, I don't know that they stuck the landing with that. I, I would also say that I think that might be intended to tie into the Blackfish's comment that in most despite the fact that there's this big war going on for most of these people for most of the kingdom it's just life day to day you know there's nothing happening so maybe that was intended to be a bit of a parallel there but it's hard to argue with you know as much as i did like getting a little comedy and i do like pod um from the books in the book there's more time spent before this point on Tyrion and pod's relationship in the book because we get point of view yeah we get point of view from Tyrion and and pod's sort of always around so sort of like we have that connection with braun we have Mm -hmm. a similar kind of connection similar level of connection with pod in the, in the books. Um, be also cause Braun isn't in them as much as he is in the show. And so maybe that is from that perspective, but it, I really can't argue with the notion of, of giving that time to somebody else because who I would have liked to see get more of that time was, uh, was the spider. I was so glad to see Varys back, but then nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, I was told that pod in the book is only 12 years old and that scene does not even exist in the book. So it's like written mm-hmm. into the series. And that's yep. what I mean. Like, it's like HBO feels they need to put a nudity into oh, a show. See, I didn't feel like that at all. But then again, like I said, I have been watching Spartacus <laughs> recently, and I'm also a fan of Deadwood because it because this is a well established world of Game of Thrones, like the the brothels, especially with the connection with Littlefinger that we saw. I don't know. It it did it didn't feel gratuitous to me. Um, and, and so you 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 don't think that there's say a lot of female nudity, but very few... Like, I think there was male nudity in this episode, which I somehow missed, because I think I went to get a glass of wine or something. But I mean, like, every episode, almost every episode, there's, like... There when hasn't been women. any this season that I, I can I think, think of. Well, the first episode, there was that oddly placed camera angle focusing on the ladies' privates. Remember in the first episode? Last episode, there was there was no nudity, though. What was in the first? I don't remember this from the premiere. I, I, I'm sure you're right. I just don't remember yeah. it. Well, anyhow, it, it doesn't really matter. Let's move yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some other stuff this episode. Um, Rick, why don't you uh, tell us, with because of course we have this baggage from the books, which uh, of the various arcs or threads or character threads uh, were most engaging to you, or which are you most excited to talk about? Well, I think the best scene once again goes back to Tyrion when he reappears at the small council and you know his older sister is she older or younger uh she's she's older because she's older because right. the, okay. the mother died in childbirth okay exactly so his his older sister drags around the chair because she wants to sit right next to her dad because she feels like she has the most power and there's sort of like this 
musical chairs game going on. And then I just love the way he takes the chair and drags it as loudly as he can to the opposite end of the table. So he's sitting directly across from his dad. And technically, his seating position is equal to his dad's seating position because he's at the head of the table. It's just at the opposite end. And I just think that that sequence speaks volumes without dialogue. So that to me, and it was also super funny. It was incredibly funny. <laughs> so to me, that was like the highlight of the episode. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to see in Game of Thrones. That, that, that's what I mean about telling the story visually. That's a perfect example. Yeah. And when you look at adaptations of, of literature, you know, one of the things that's important to do, as great as, like you said, Ricky, as, as the dialogue is on Game of Thrones, the series, it's it's very important to remember that this is, you're going from a, a an, you know imag- people's imagination a, a book a page that you're reading to a visual representation, and there are very different ways of telling stories. And so, any opportunity you can have when ad- adapting something like this to 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 tell the same thing, but with you know, without dialogue, with with the visuals instead. And the the example I always go back to is that wonderful dance in in Harry the Harry Potter. Uh, what is that? Seven? The eight? Anyways, the the Harry and Hermione dance was a perfect visual representation of so much dialogue and so much story in the book, just in this quick little montage. I think that's a very similar thing here. And I like you said, I love that they, you know, went you know they exploited the medium to its to its you know strengths. Mm-hmm. Mike, what was your favorite moment? Um, I, I did like that moment with Tyrion a lot. I thought that that was very good. Uh, I mean, sometimes uh, his acting sort of outshines everybody else in the scene almost dramatically, and it is a, a show with some pretty strong actors. Um, my favorite was um, the this, the the brief stuff beyond the wall because for me that had the most interesting moments of the episode, especially as a reader of the book, Kate, I, I, the, the, when they come up on the, the spiral of horse heads in the snow, and um, horse bodies and and horse bodies. (laughs) And he remarks always the artists. Now that's not mentioned at all in the books from what I can remember. And in fact, at this point in the books, and even as far as I've read and I've read all of them now, there's no mention of that kind of insight yet on the White Walkers that I that I remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I thought that that was sort of interesting storytelling. Like they're giving us a little moment of insight that may be coming later in the books. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I, that that scene goes back to telling the story visually because you see the camera pan out or dolly. Well, no, of of course they visually show the symbol, but yeah. the the insight is that that the white walkers are, are artists that they and, and that gives them a much, much more of a dimension that's existed in the show up to this point. And even in the books, which are, you know, 2000 pages ahead of these current plot lines. Um, I thought that was really interesting and, and a very small thing, but for me, that was the most arresting part of the, of the episode, the moment that really got me thinking the most about what was coming and what this all meant and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting choice, and I don't remember anything like that from the books either. So I would guess that we're probably on, on the same page with that, Be, because it it says a lot about the White Walkers, who we've pretty much conceived as just like zombies, right, or or, or monsters, as opposed to incredibly intelligent, sentient beings, you know, or or creatures that exactly like they're just sort of creatures of malevolence now, but. This idea that they have that kind of sentience is really interesting and 
and maybe a little bit of a nod to the book readers. You know what I mean? That we have to wait this long, but this is something that's coming. So, or, it, so you're saying it's not in the book? No, no, no. It, there's like a, even, and the books like this is, even though the the plot lines are getting not totally lined up with books, this is still two full books back from where the books are now. And there's never been any mention of any insight as to what the walkers are at all. Okay. And yeah, have like you guys, personality traits and things. Have exactly. You, have you guys read the fourth book? Yeah. I've read all the books that okay. I have now. Okay. And there's okay. nothing like this. There's still just sort of a force of pure evil. Like, there's only, like, even encounters with them. I won't give anything away. But there's next to no encounters with them even at this point. Well, I think that makes them a lot more frightening because if they totally. are. Yeah, because they're intelligent. Or... And it's much more interesting. And it, for the first time, it made me think that maybe R.R. R. Martin, like, uh, has come to more of a conclusion about how this is all going to play out a little bit. Mm -hmm. It just, it was a very interesting clue and a very small clue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The idea that they have their own sense of beauty and, uh, and just the symmetry of it. And, yeah. um, it shows, well, it speaks to it motivation, shows, right? Well, it also shows things like math, you know, to do a spiral sure. like that. It's just, and to, to know, to care what it's going to look like from, above where where we've seen them on zombie horses but we have no reason to to believe that they have a concept of you know that there's such a different visual from you know it's it's, it's a simple thing that if you want to to look into it and analyze it like i think everybody at this point uh, listen, who's listening knows that i love that stuff there's a lot there it's 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 again like you were saying earlier ricky it's a way of doing telling us a lot about characters with a simple visual and one line of dialogue from, from Mansrader. You know, in our first podcast of this season, we had Randy on as a guest host, and he asked me why do I take more interest in Beyond the Wall because he thought it was the least interesting aspects of the show. And I was like, it's because it offers us something we haven't seen before. You know what I mean? And this is a prime example in this episode. And I think that's why I like the character of Jon Snow, which I know you guys have always sort of nitpicked at his acting skills, but his adventure, his character, his sort of like character arc his road, his journey, to me, is far more interesting than most of the characters. He's not my favorite character, but I'm really interested in Beyond the Wall. And now, if I'm not mistaken, he's actually leading the men, right? He's appointed leader now? No. He's not? No. He okay. he he was um, in somewhat of a leadership capacity with the, the Black Guard, because, or the Night's Watch, because uh, he was being groomed to, to take over as 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 a leader there but now that he switched side they don't they still don't know that they can trust him so mm -hmm. they they want to use his knowledge um of you know the the wall and everything to be able to to breach its defenses but in he's so he's being sent with like a scouting party sort of but they still don't trust him and as mance raider says in this episode so either he helps us out and that's awesome and that's great or you just throw him off the wall and he's not our problem anymore no, but then the thing is, also going back to our first podcast, I mentioned that the battle of the fists of the first men actually did take place and took place off screen. So I'm assuming that this proves my point. It actually did take place, right? It did take place, and uh, this is what yeah, what we're seeing the the spiral of horse mm -hmm. bodies uh, is is all that's left there. So is the battle written in the book, or is yes. it sort of it is? Yes, okay. very detailed too, and, and, like, and awesome. that's I was going to mention that to Kate too. That um, I think it's become clear that, and I think they've actually done a really good job of it. Um, they they can't possibly. There's no time, and there wouldn't be enough money in the universe to do all of the large scale and and small scale battles that happen in the book. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but they're doing a really good job of picking the ones that are relevant to the story that you really need to show. Um, and like in this case, there it's it. I I think they actually made a great storytelling decision. I think it's almost more menacing what they did. Um, in the book, it's like a sort of like a zombie attack. Like it's very much like if you've read zombie books or seen zombie movies, it's what you would expect. Okay. Um, but this is much creepier. And and again, they gave you they replace it with this little new sort of cookie about you know the White Walkers being artists and stuff like that. Um, it's far more mysterious, and I think for me that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely more interesting. Um, I, I think in general, as a reader of the book, I think that might be what was I found less interesting last season was that they're still going along very similarly in the books. I think at this point now, anybody that's read the books realizes that there's, I mean, there's certain threads that are 2,000 pages ahead of other threads, and because of the very strange way he released two of the books that were sort of at the same time, now, I don't really know what's going to happen scene to scene, even though I've read them. And that's really interesting. Like, I think that's part of what's been more engaging for me this season. And this episode was a great example of it. I really don't know what's going to happen a lot of the time. And people are portrayed very differently. Like you said, Podrick's a great example. In the in the book, he's a 12-year-old boy. And I think that's probably why they had that quick scene to establish the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um with Kyrian, because in the book they spend, you know, 800 pages establishing that relationship. But um, I, uh, I, I, I'm interested in, uh, in, in what's going to happen a lot more now because it, it's, it's a lot less predictable, I think. That's interesting because I don't have that, that relationship with it at this point. I, I'm still, like, for me, I, what I find interesting and, and what I'm not necessarily able to predict is how far each of the threads are going to go in a particular episode, like where they're going to cut basically. So like this week I, I was when watching it, I was like, okay, either they're going to end this episode with Daenerys's thing or with Jamie's thing. And they oh, ended sure. it the, with Jamie's thing. Things like that you can't avoid. Yeah. Obviously I know what's going to happen to Daenerys. I know what'll happen with Jamie, but things like the mummers, like they, they change that sort of completely. Like they're not this sort of weird circus troupe anymore. Which is a little disappointing. I liked those guys. Um, they were scary and weird in the book. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I uh, even though I know the ultimate outcome, like I knew Jamie was going to lose a hand, um, I, I find the moment to moment less predictable, maybe. Okay. But that's actually one of the things that I've really enjoyed this season, kind of, because there is that sense of unpredictability. But for, for me, and, and I, I, some of this is probably because I have le- less of a, an affinity for Jon Snow um, in, in the series. But also, I think I just, of all the storylines that are going on right now, despite that interesting detail about the, the White Walkers, I care so much less about what is going on north of the wall than I do about Jamie and Brienne or or even Kat this week. I thought Michelle Fairley uh, knocked her scene out of the park, and I loved the introduction of, of the of Admir and uh, the Blackfish. I thought that was all great. And, um, and then, of course, Daenerys' storyline. I'm way more interested in all of those, even Arya and and the not Robin Hoods, um, than than I am with what's going on up up north. So get, trying to guess, like trying to get, get like uh, ten minutes ahead of the episode and guess where they're gonna end, um, end them because each of these storylines have such wonderful payoffs coming, um, has been really exciting for me. 
I actually wanted to talk about River Run. Okay, first of all, we actually do get River Run in the credit sequence of this week, which I don't which remember. Cool. That yeah, was new. That was new. Okay, that was awesome. I love um, that they're doing that. It's one of my favorite parts of the series. You're like, ooh, cool, a new little animation of this toy town. That it's like, yeah, it's it's such it's such a fun little thing. It's one of the coolest credit sequences ever. Anyway, sorry, go on. I do want to see though. I want to see North of the Wall. I wanted to see the. The, the little thingy for the Fist of the First Men. Yeah. I've been really disappointed that they haven't gone north of the wall with that map. But Seriously. sorry, go ahead, Ricky. Well, yeah, no, last week I said it's my favorite credit sequence of all time for any TV show. It's also It also has to do with the music, too. But so we're introduced right away to two new characters. And from some for coming from someone who hasn't read the book, I got to say, the introduction was great. Like, mm-hmm. the opening scene at River Run was just amazing. And right away I kind of understood their relationship to Kathleen, right? And I, I love the sort of, I, I like the, the funeral service reminded me of what like Vikings would do, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know, I just like, I love the way, you know, he misses not once, twice, but three times. And then Blackfish comes and saves the day with just like one quick arrow. He like nails the target. And, and he doesn't I, even have to look. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even have to look. So it was fantastic, which speaks volumes for those two characters. Once again, telling the story visually without words. Amazing. Well, and uh, actually, I, it's, I'm glad you brought up the Blackfish because I, I, he's being portrayed, again, it's like I was saying, very differently than I remember him from the book. Like, I feel like they've really given that character a little bit more leeway to be himself, and I'm finding that more with characters they're introducing now. Um, so I, it's more interesting to watch, I think, than doing an impression. Um, but, yeah, I really I really liked that scene, and... Uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with those characters because, you well, know, you know, are coming. In, in the show don't tell moments of this episode, that scene, like I didn't know how to react to it because it was darkly funny, but it was also at a time of mourning. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, it is a funeral service. But, you know, the funny thing is, guys, I do not like Kathleen this season at all, at all. Uh, and I'm just like at the point where I'm like, yeah, blame everything on Catelyn because I just do not like her character. And so once again in this episode, we get a moment of of grief with Catelyn, but it just didn't hit me like the way it did in the last episode. But there's just something about her character. Like she's made a lot of stupid decisions, I think. And she's the reason why her family, I, I, I would say, uh, is having problems. The fact that she kidnapped uh, one Lannister and kidnapped another Lannister and set loose one Lannister. Like, she seems to be making all the wrong decisions. I, I don't know. Like, I don't understand how Rob Stark is apparently winning the war because to me, it seems like he's losing the war. They haven't necessarily done a great job of ex- expressing that. Well, especially because um, last last season we saw more of, of, of his victories and they, they've really shied away from any sort of uh, battlefield or, or, or showing that element of what's going on. Um, so we do have that extra, like just time from when most of us watched season two to kind of forget mm-hmm. that, that Rob has not lost a battle yet. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that they, I, I thought that they actually struck the right, the right tone with that in his conversation with Edmer um, am I saying that right? Yeah, Edmure, right, Tully? Edmure. Yeah, his uncle. Yeah, such a yeah. such a weird name. Uh, I, I, th- I thought they did such a really good job of striking that tone where it's, you know, it might seem like they're winning right now, but everybody in that room knows it's not going to last and it can't. And really, uh, you know, they they, ha- they have to be 
just as nervous as we see them. And I think that also then ties in so well with the end of the episode with Jamie, where he's, you know, because we saw that build up, you know, that, that, um, that notion of, of the insecurity of the North, even though they're winning right now from the, the main leaders in the North. Then when Jamie tries to, to, to talk to Roose Bolton and win him over with that same argument, it's, it makes that con that, you know, the conclusion of that, I guess, all the more surprising and effective. Well, and the conversation he had with his uncle also introduces or sets up two more characters who are the nephews of the Lannisters. They're related to Lannisters, those two young boys. And th mm -hmm. this is this is what I mean about how they introduce so many characters, because I watched this on HBO Live, so I don't have any kind of device to record it. So there's a lot of information for me to take in. But yeah, so there's two kids that are now held hostage, and his wife sort of tells them the legend of Rob and how he turns into like a wolf at night and he doesn't eat kids on a full only on a full moon, which was really adorable and cute. But I'm like, who are these two kids specifically? Like they're not really a value from my understanding. Yeah, no, they'll Without giving anything away, and only because there'd be no point in introducing them otherwise, they are definitely going to be relevant. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I thought. Um, but don't feel bad about forgetting their names. That's that. Yeah, and <laughs> I didn't remember their names. I read the books. I didn't well, I, I would just like to trust the writers that if they are going to introduce all these characters, they're going to stick around, and they are there for a reason. So it, yeah, so so far, trust I'm, me, there are superfluous character. If it can be believed, the show is cutting, is trimming their character lists enormously. Yeah, there are scores of other characters. There are there is a whole other land called Dorne that they've just <laughs> haven't even they haven't even tackled it yet, and there's a whole other group of people there. Okay. And like even when you're reading the books, and I remember having distinct moments in the books where it would start, and you'd be like, "Oh shit, where am I? <laughs> oh no, this is a whole new place." <laughs> oh, this is going to be so much work, and then it always is so much work. But, but you're literally you're flipping back and forth. But right now, I think they're actually doing quite a good job of curtailing that and giving you what's relevant and holding your hand as much as they need to. Um, there's there hasn't been a lot of, of of superfluous stuff happening, and definitely don't feel bad about not remembering the nephews' names. Okay, but but I also got to give credit to the writers and the director of the episode because I just felt that the last scene which involved Brienne and the Kingslayer I, I just thought it was emotionally devastating like when they took her away and I assumed they were going to rape her that and murder her awful. oh my god just hearing her screams and he, she's yeah. a character you just love so much it really got to me like it really made me sad and I'm yeah, glad and, and the thing is it's like now it's like I don't know how to feel about Jamie because I mean the Kingslayer in season one is the, is the one that dropped some young boy off the top of the tower and Not left just him paralyzed. Some young boy brand. Young boy. <laughs> well, he's still a young boy. It doesn't matter who he is. But we, we know him. We like him. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, it could have been any young boy is what I'm trying to say here. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a boy. It's a young boy. He pretty much, like, tried to murder him. Like, he's an awful person. And now we're getting sort of, like, this change in his, in his character. And I was also told in the book there, the, the relationship between those two characters is very flirtatious. And oh, I don't know. I don't no, I, I think, think so. I think I think it's being represented pretty accurately. Okay. Um, there's like you know it develops a little bit in different directions, but no, I mean, especially at this point, I think it's accurate. And I'm upset I missed last episode because I thought that that was one of the most awesome sword fights ever caught on film. Like it was so measured and perfect, and it really looked like two people 
trying to kill each other with swords. Yeah, well, and that's why last week I didn't talk about it very much because I said something about how it was very good that they put this in because I knew that he was about to get his sword hand cut off. So it was, yeah, yeah they had to give him one last pretty sweet sword fight before that happens. That's a good point. It's going to be a long time before that happens again. Yeah, but that was definitely one of the uh, biggest emotional moments of season three so far. And I I kind of miss the odd couple buddy road trip TV series we have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the the, the sort of the the shift that you describe, Ricky, with your relationship with the Kingslayer is, is something that they've done so well so far because that is exactly how I'm sure almost everybody who read the books felt. And I know that's how I felt because sure. in book three, he becomes a point of view character, whereas before that he hasn't been. So you're you're getting his perspective on scenes. You're you're finding out his thought process, his relationship with his father and his and his sister girlfriend, and his uh, his his reasons for for why he did kill the Mad King and became the King Slayer and all of this stuff. And it's it's such wonderful character development. You're like son of a bitch. They're making me like the King Slayer. I don't. I'm not happy about it. Yeah, well, I always liked the character and the actor, but, like, not in the way where I liked the character. I just liked watching his performance. But mm-hmm. now I'm actually starting to like the character, and it's really bugging me. Mm-hmm. And But but the one thing about the, end, the ending of this episode is it also reminds me that there's always stakes. Anybody can die. Anyone can get their hand chopped off, their head chopped off. Because you sometimes forget. I mean, it's been, like... You know how long since Ned got his head chopped off? So, and he was, and I'm talking about major characters here, like the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think one of the best things about Game of Thrones in general, especially the books, although like this, the series is coming this way too, is that there's you know there's such an enormous sense of jeopardy. Like, you really get the feeling that there are none of the traditional rules, and that any character could get killed. Um, the one thing I'm finding is that. And maybe it's just because you couldn't keep up this kind of pace. It'd be crushing to watch. But there isn't the same level of pervasive menace in the show uh, that there is in the books. And I think, like, you remember that speech about how, you know, anywhere if there's a war, most people somewhere are doing nothing. I think that that was almost like a conceit to production values where they're like, (laughs) look, like, I know we keep talking about how there's a war on, but we couldn't possibly, like, pay for it to look like there's a war on all the time so we're gonna kind of explain it just by saying that most places there isn't a war but when we want to have a battle scene we'll show you what's going on and i mean i understand the sentiment but it it just re- it really doesn't seem like there's a war on it really there's there's just like in the books at this point it just feels like walking down a road could get you killed for sure mm-hmm. well but we don't see very many people walking down that's roads. true that's totally true but we haven't seen the little people as they're specifically called in the book um, we haven't true. we haven't gone through the the villages we got that one scene last uh last season with jamie and brienne where we saw the 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 women or that who had, had been killed and hung raped and hung yeah, because i think that's what i mean like though yeah there was there's sort of awful carnage everywhere in the book and there's a real feel there's like it has that like abandoned city feel, the countryside in the book that the only people you see are dead people and everyone else, you know, is behind a sword in case you might try to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might still be coming, but I do appreciate uh, a little space from that just because and it's something we talked about when with with this season, The Walking Dead, where it, it can be just too 
overwhelmingly crushing and depressing to the point where it, it kind of kills your enjoyment yep. because it's week it's every week and you're welcoming it into your home and it's a different you know it's a different thing you, you can't you're not putting down the book and and going away from it and coming back to it several months later you know if it gets too depressing it's a different sort of situation but i think more than production values that is the reason that they're not doing that uh with game of thrones right now and i mean just in general you know they had to there are things they had to dial back because you know i i mentioned it on last season stuff and stuff but like the sheer volume of rape in some of the books is obviously just not going to be anything anybody wants to watch on screen mm-hmm. um and as much as i really had a lot of serious problems with that and some serious socio-political problems with that um in the book the abs- in the book the absence of it does does take away from some of the menace you expect characters to be saved in the show and they are saved i find in a way you don't expect as much in the books Do you that's know what interesting because I, mean? I, I i don't know i would disagree i'm curious what you think about this ricky but um i i and I think they show that in this episode. I am not experiencing that as much. Uh, the only character that I that I have experienced that, that what you're describing a little bit with is Sansa because her she she has a she in the in the book she just remains naive and you just like it's I've said it before on the podcast. You just feel like you're waiting for her to get like brutalized or raped or something terrible because she is not a very active character. She doesn't seem as strong. Um, and and she so that that portrays a little different in the show and so that's one who where I, I feel like she's a little safer than she felt in the book but I think they did a really good job of you know showing when you say anybody can get killed or have something terrible happen this week Brienne who's such a badass she was taking down the Kingslayer last week is gonna get raped and the only thing that stops it is this this uh, thing that Jamie says about the Sapphire Islands that's the only reason that she doesn't and as strong as she is she's either gonna get killed or raped. Well, and I mean that 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 thing with Brienne is in the book too. I just mean that that's in the book, and so is a lot of other stuff that they're uh, clearly yes. shying away from, at least in volume. And I think that that's a good decision, just because. I mean, you're, you know, you're not you, hearing about um, other. You hear stories about some of our it, villains specifically exactly, that they are like some of not the, showing some of us. the stuff with the mountain and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, there's the the volume of it in the books is just not going to be something you're going to want to. It would be distracting, if not upsetting. Uh, I think it would be upsetting, but even if you weren't upset by it, you would be distracted, I think, by the volume of it. And like you said, I think it's also too crushing um, to have the kind of weight that the books have relentlessly on screen. Yeah, well, I mean, even in this episode, Theon Greyjoy almost gets raped in the middle now, of the forest. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't remember... I remember what happening to Theon going totally differently. Am I wrong? You mean in the book? Yeah. Uh, Kate, like, is... Am I wrong about what's happening with him? Is it not totally different? I... You know what? I, it's not ringing bells. And I don't really remember what happened with Theon. I remember what comes later, but I don't remember this part. I was told in the book he gets tortured really, really Well, badly. in the book he disappears for 3,000 pages. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. That's and then one you find of, out he, later. Exactly. Uh, he, they're doing, he's one of those characters that I think that they're doing interesting things with, and I think probably casting conceits too. Like, he was a pretty major character for two seasons. I think it might be difficult to tell him, you know, we'll see you in season five. Um, so I think they're uh, – maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. But from what I remember, they're 
they seem to be largely totally rewriting. Oh, and that's a great, uh, great uh, um, example of what we're talking about with the reduction of menace. By now in the book, uh, a lot of people have been flayed. Um, There seems to be a dramatic reduction in the volume of flaying, which is really, again, a good idea because flaying a lot of people is distracting. Well, there's still a lot of horror in this episode. I mean, can we talk about the walk of punishment? That whole sequence was so disturbing. Again, that's just, just that's like absolutely nothing. Like there are long flaying scenes <laughs> that are a regular part of the. <laughs> well, well, it, it, no, no, no. It is it is a disturbing thing in this episode, and it is well executed. It doesn't, you know, it it might be worse in the book, but with outside of the context of what was it like in the book, just watching this episode, it was effective, and it sure, really absolutely. conveyed what they were going for. I'm assuming that, you know, you speak about the production values. I'm assuming that the way they shot that, that's a lot of CGI in the background. Like, I would would probably think they had one guy hanging off the cross and then somehow digitally... It looked shot doubled, definitely. Yeah, it looked shot doubled, but it still looked great. And it was so terrifying. And also... Now, here's the thing about Danny. Like, she's my favorite character. And I find her so spontaneous. I never know why she's making the decisions she's making and she always surprises me and in this episode she decides to trade her dragon for the slave army which i know she's got a trick up her sleeve like i'm assuming that you know this is her baby it's her child and so she knows at the end of the day that dragon's gonna just return to her it's not like the dragon's gonna serve the other guy uh but i just thought that was really shocking but what i really liked about that specific sequence is you get baristan the bold and jorah who are always arguing like they both wanted to succeed. They both wanted to be like, you know, the queen and sit on the throne, but they can't seem to agree on anything. And I I see the tension building between those two guys. And I think they're going to complicate her life. So that is something I'm I'm interested to see. Like, I want to see what happens with those two guys when they keep on butting heads. And also I like the translation. Once again, when she's making the bargain, it's just, Mm -hmm. again, adding a a dose of humor, just in, in the most awful like sequences is just what the writers do so well. Yep. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one and we'll talk about it next week yep so, so yeah okay so you don't want to spoil anything for, for I'm anyone not gonna say it. okay i thought i thought the scenes were very good and uh yeah i absolutely agree if i did not know what was coming next i would have been very surprised uh by what happens i thought it was very well portrayed i loved her dressing down of both sergera and um Barristan uh, afterwards and I thought that was very effective and I also liked just her her brief little line of uh, you know all men must die yeah we're not men I thought that was nice and, and for a show that is so most of the, the characters that people enjoy the most are the most memorable that have the most power and are the strongest and smartest are women in this show there's like Tyrion and Littlefinger maybe a couple others but most of the strongest characters are most interesting or most nuanced are women and so to contrast that with what we get with uh with Brienne this week I thought was very interesting and 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 powerful and I liked it quite a bit. I also like the fact that she takes the translator cuz you can see that she's trying to save everybody. And that's why like in the last podcast I was like she seems to be the most good-hearted out of everyone that wants to sit on the throne and then our guest Les kind of laughed at me which kind of leads me to believe that she's going to do something terrible in the future which I hope she doesn't because I really do like her character. But, I mean, I think she's going to do whatever she has to do in order to win the battle. But this is what I'm confused about. If this guy builds these armies, if he trains these guys to be, like, the greatest warriors ever, why doesn't he just conquer 
the kingdom because oh. they're they're like merchants. It's it's their economy, and that's how they that's how they. So I mean, I, that, I, that's that's a lot of hard work, and you could get yeah. killed. And why not exactly. just make lots of money? <laughs> I guess. Um, so can we just quickly talk about Arya because I really liked her scene. Uh, her exchange basically with hot pie. I thought it was just so cute the way he gives the wolf shaped piece of bread. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this means we're never going to see hot pie again. I hope we do. I really like that character. Not to say I want to see turns him into on... a dragon. He turns into a dragon. Awesome. <laughs> I don't want to see him on a weekly basis. If he turns into a dragon, it'll be amazing. What are you doing? We're about to leave. I'm staying. You're what? I baked some brown bread for the innkeep, and she said she never had better. So I thought she's keeping me as a payment for all the free meals she's given him. Anyway, it's not me the Brotherhood wants. My brother ain't no king. I'm not Stark of Winterhell. Winterfell. You sure? I'm sure. Oh, I made you something. What is it? Wolf. Yes, it is. That's the tail. Yeah. Well, be safe. Yeah, you too. Don't get stabbed. You don't. Burn your fingers. Goodbye, hot pie. Goodbye, Harry. Uh, but yeah, no, and if I'm not mistaken, that uh, location was in the previous season, and that's the same location in, in which the hound killed that innocent boy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it all comes full circle. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and I also, it makes the world feel, if, if for those who picked up on it, at least, it makes the world feel a little smaller because, you know, there's, they're on one of the few main roads, if they're, if they are on one of the few main roads, that is, there are only so many inns at crossroads because there are only so many crossroads. So it makes sense that you would end up at the same places, you know, if you're traveling across, across the kingdoms. And uh, I, I thought this was a more successful sort of version of the scenes we get with, with Tyrion and Pod. As far as a little bit of comedy, character building, and um, and and paying off a character that perhaps gets more uh, development and time in the book and just can't in the show out of necessities. Uh, so I do agree that it was very well played. I love the the last note that they left it out of. Oh, it's it's good. You know that was that was that was cute. And I'm gonna miss Hot Pie until we see him again. Mm-hmm. If we yeah. see him again. Not enough dragons. Not enough giants. Not enough male nudity. That that that's like. That's the, in some ways, that's the best strength of the show and the books and stuff. What, that there's it, not enough male nudity? There's, <laughs> that there's not enough male, but wait for the giant's male nudity. Oh, God. <laughs> it makes them up. It's awesome. It's epic. Just um, wait for well, Hodor to come back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in general, though, they just, um, they parse that stuff out well because if you got too much of it, it would seem pedestrian a lot faster. So even after, you know, 5,000 pages of books, it's not like it's wall-to-wall giants and dragons. Like, um, I think those things are treated well, to be honest. Like, they're treated like the sort of incredible things that they are. I mean, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't get ramped up. I think it's obvious to any viewer that 
you know, obviously more and more is coming. But um, yeah, but you know I, what? When we do see a dragon and or a giant and or a warg, it makes it also more special because we don't see it on a weekly that's basis. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I did miss the warg, by the way. Hmm. I would the, assume the, we'll probably be back with um, Bran and the Reeds, if not next week, then the week after. I, I would have a feeling that we're going to kind of touch in on some of the characters who are walking. Um, mm. maybe every other episode, which seems like it's a, it's a good call, but I didn't, I mean, as much as I like those characters, I didn't miss them this week. I was happy to spend the time elsewhere. So frog people, frog people. <laughs> um, yeah, there, I, I like what they've done with that too. I mean, that's, uh, again, one of those times where I'm like, Oh, I read the books. I don't know what's happening here. They've sort of totally rewritten this, at least in sort of how purposeful they are. Um, and I, I do like that. Like you said, though, I didn't. You don't you don't necessarily have to check in with them too much. You, the understanding is that they're walking. So it, it must be so difficult. Like I haven't read the book, but I can only imagine how difficult it must be to adapt the the book, considering it's all told in like point of views and internal. Thoughts. Honestly, they're doing an incredible job. I yeah. it's astonishing. Like, frankly, the first season I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty easy. They're just remaking this scene for scene almost, and then shit takes off in so many different directions. I don't know about you, Kate. I if somebody asked me to guess off the top of my head, I would say there are well over a hundred named characters in the book already. Oh yeah, is this like this season is going to have one hundred and twenty-five named characters on, That's on Game of Thrones? Yeah, just on the TV show, let alone in the book. I think um, the the element that is most surprising and impressive about the the this adaptation is like you we've said this point of view characters. It's first person. It's a first-person book, and so you get all of this, um, you know, especially with characters like Bran, who are dreaming and and have uh, a lot of internal monologuing. Uh, we get that with with Jamie quite a bit when he's just sitting in a cell. To to find a way to externalize those thoughts and to to get that across is is really challenging, and they've done a fantastic job. Yeah, they really have. But okay, so I got to ask questions because I sort of represent the it. people that haven't read the book. So don't answer the question if it's going to spoil anything in future episodes. Locke, the character of Locke. Now, who exactly is he? Like, do, should we know who he is? Because I'm not entirely sure who he is. Like, all who? I know is he chopped off Jamie's arm. Oh, yes, yes. He's one of Roose Bolton's men, and uh, that will... That's about it? That's going to happen... There's going to be more with that, of, of course, uh, in that I would assume in the next episode. I don't think they'll leave us hanging with that. So for right now, he's just one of Roose Bolton's men, and Roose Bolton's sigil is the flayed man. So when we talk about how there was more flaying in the books, mm -hmm. that might give you a hint as to that. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything, so that's fine. No, you're good. But basically, it's coming. All right. Uh, and the second question is, the I won't call him a boy, but the guy who rescues Theon. Now, do are we supposed to know who he is, or they have no. okay? So. I, I I'm not sure who he is. All right. Mm -hmm. okay. Do you know who he is, kids? No. Yeah. I don't. So, rem I don't remember Theon's stuff as well. I, I'm almost uh, again. Book, because, book Nazis, well please don't jump on me. But I'm almost 100 percent sure that the stuff that's happening with Theon is playing out almost completely differently. Well, but the thing at is, least for now, he's a well-known actor in the UK. He's in a TV series called The Misfits, I think. So I'm assuming if they're going to cast him in the show, mind you, every character, every actor in the show is brilliant. But I'm just assuming he's going to play a bigger part for the rest of the season. Like I said, I, I haven't read the books. I don't know who he is. Okay. And the last thing I want to say is I really like the scene in which they're singing the bear and the maiden fair. 
And then mm-hmm. they played a song during a credit sequence, which I caught, it totally caught me off guard. And at first I didn't know how to feel about it, but I actually kind of liked it. I actually thought I, my feed was broken. I was watching it online and I was like, uh, oh shit, something else started on my computer and played this totally out of point, out of place music. Well, and that, that was the, the hold steady. And of course, uh, the, the bear and the maiden fair, which is another song that's mentioned uh, or referenced frequently in, in the books. In yeah. last season, we had, of course, the reigns of Castamir, which was done by the national. That was fantastic. Very different, uh, sense of sounding these two uh, takes on on the songs but i i enjoyed them both very much um and, and it's it's a nice little bit of you know uh connecting us to the world and making the world feel more lived in to have this, those songs like that that everybody knows the last thing i want to mention is we did, we haven't talked at all about stannis and melisandre and their brief scene any questions there any thoughts there well, or are we it's, it's so brief i didn't want to mention it because it was like he appears for two minutes he I don't really know what to say about it. He just looks miserable. He looks frustrated. He Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure what the Again, having read the book and knowing people's motivations, I'm not really sure what the point of that scene was. Yeah. I feel like maybe it was just to check in on them and so you remember who they are kind of thing. Well, also that he wants to make another demon shadow baby. Right. It answers that I mean, question though, Mike, because uh, last podcast I was asking about the powers and the demon babies and like, why couldn't she have made more? And I guess it does answer that question because he just doesn't have the power. So I guess it is. Oh, maybe. Yeah. It's like a, by the way, in case you were wondering why they're not doing more, it's because of this kind of scene. Yeah. I guess that that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but it's so brief that I, I don't really know what to say about it. So no, there's going to be more, I think, there's, there, well, I know there's a lot more with that, with those characters. Obviously there is. But um, I, I, there's going to be more coming with, with Davos and, and Stannis' relationship, as well as, of course, Stannis and, and Melisandre and Davos and Melisandre. So I think establishing that she's gone in that brief scene also, or she's going to be gone for a while is, is helpful, too. And um, it was only like a, a minute or two, but I, I wanted to mention it because I actually really liked Melisandre in that scene. I've not always been the biggest fan of that character, that portrayal, but I actually did engage with her quite a bit in, in that you know few moments. And so I wanted to mention it. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it too. And I think the reason is probably the same reason that you felt is that I find sometime in general, that character, the portrayal on the show is a little bit like vampy almost. It's a little bit too much. And I think having her like it all dressed up in a cloak on the beach where it was cold, just sort of, you know, like, I was yeah. like, oh, she's not dressed like some sort of like. Like she came out of a Jess Franco movie? Or out of like a Blood Rain video game, like, or like some like, like it, it, it was so toned down that she was actually sort of forced to do a little bit more acting. And you're like, oh, this is good. I like this. I, I like this person. I hope she wears more clothes throughout the series. <laughs> It, you know, it's good for her acting, I think. And I think she probably deserves it a little bit as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did think of one other thing uh, that I haven't mentioned that I did want to mention. I, I have really liked what they've been doing with Theon. Alfie Allen has been really good in his brief moments, the little little that he's had to do so far. And I like that they are real that they are really, you know, that they aren't leaving him for later because they're they're putting him through a lot of really terrible stuff to to get the audience to you know, feel like he's been punished for, you know, for what he did to Winterfell and what he did, uh, what he tried to do to Bran and Rickon. So um, I'd like that, that they are sort of, because I want to like that character because I like the performance so much. I like him in the show a lot more than in the books. And so I'm I'm glad that I feel like I can like him more because he's being tortured. 
Well, and I think also, like I said before, I think a big part of that is, you know, he was a big, a big character, a big part of the show. And I think it didn't make a lot of sense just from a storytelling point of view. You know, if you're, even though you're, it's not a direct translation to not ask that actor to go do something else for the next two and a half years until they get to season four or five or whatever. Um, so, and I agree. And I think he's one of the better actors on the show. And I, I do like him a lot more than the books. In the books, he's very one dimensionally unlikable. And then, you know, then there's the later stuff. And do you guys have any final thoughts on this episode? No, I thought it was good. I thought it was great. I thought it was the best so far this season. And I don't know. Looking forward to next week. Next week, uh, two out of three characters on the show become dragons. <laughs> Hot pie. It's and... just a. It's it's just a dragon like jamboree after this. But when Hot Pie becomes a dragon, is he going to be like the biggest dragon? Because I remember the last episode, there was like um, one of the characters cracked a joke about Hot Pie. He's like. Half the country starving, and look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's yeah, he's a really obese dragon. <laughs> it, it it becomes very farcical. Little obese dragon that makes little like cakes for little girls. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Delicious cakes for little girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Michael, so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, they can find me here pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me here unless they are in my grade two, three class. Okay. Good to know. Well, next week we're going to be talking about And Now His Watch is Ended, which is episode four. And just based on that title, I think those of us who read the book know one of the things that's going to happen. Ricky, I think you will enjoy one of the scenes we're going to get. Um, It will be written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who wrote this episode, of course. They're the showrunners and directed by Alex Graves. So next week is going to be pretty sweet. Um, Can I say one more thing? Yep. I, I love the fact that when the episode ends, they don't start showing clips of next week's episode, which I really hate. Like when I watch Bates Motel or Walking Dead or whatnot, it's like I don't even have time to move from the couch and they are already showing me what happens next week. I don't want to see those clips. And I also love the fact that, that we don't get commercials. So mm-hmm. Very nice. All, all hail HBO and the, the, the no commercial format. It's very, very much appreciated. But again, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week to look at the next episode. And we're going to take it out with The Bear and the Maiden Fair by The Hold Steady. Bring the bird over here. The carving knife. Will this work as a table, my lord? Oh, yes, yes, this will do nice. I'm not stumped. You think you're the smartest man there is. But everyone alive has to bow and scrape and lick your boots. My father. And if you get in any trouble, all you've got to do is say, my father. And that's it. All your troubles are gone. Have you got something to say? Help you remember?
sorry, Claire. 